contracts, intellectual property, labor law, and much more. Make up the, the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Celebrate good times indeed, everyone. It is episode 30 of End Scene and Entertainment Law Podcast. I'm Tony Costas, And I am Evan Narr. Tony, we are back in your office today. This is the first time we've seen each other since we saw Oppenheimer together at the end of August, That's which is crazy because we're inseparable. <laughs> uh, but we had, to, we had to commemorate our 30th anniversary not anniversary 30th episode podcast episode it is an anniversary to me how dare you an anniversary of sorts uh together in in studio in tony's studio that is uh very excited to be here how have you been i've been great um you know uh it's been kind of a weird like turn of weeks because of uh you know i was traveling well you were traveling um you know i I was at disney world and then i got sick so that's part of the reason why we haven't been able to meet in person um but you know work's been busy the uh semester has been very much busy i saw a tiktok you're more than halfway done right pretty much more than halfway done um we've got about three more weeks of lectures left before the small group presentation so that should be a very good time um, but you know, it, no complaints. I mean, it's hard to believe that we're almost uh, to the end of the year. It's already halfway through October. Halloween's around the corner. Before you know it, the holidays are here. Thanksgiving, Christmas. Um, but I have to say, uh, it's it's amazing that we have gone this far doing thirty episodes. It's yeah. it's been so much fun doing this with you and. We've learned a lot. Both of us have learned so much from all the topics we've talked about, from yeah. the uh, the headlines. It's it's just been really great to have someone who uh, is passionate about the subject matter um, and you know share friendly banter about it. I agree, and I think our fir- I'm looking at my phone right now. Our first podcast was back on February 17th. That's wild. That that is almost a. Uh, what what what's was that eight months eight months yeah. eight months ago yesterday that's that's amazing r.i.p tony stark <laughs> <laughs> eight months ago yesterday uh tony stark being obviously iron man died october 17th yep. in uh, according the, to the mcu canon, the yeah. mcu canon yes that's why we have to pay homage to him yes. we yeah. have his uh infinity always gauntlet remember. here <laughs> always remember always in our hearts um but yeah it's kind of crazy and i and i share the same sentiment tony i'm, I'm very excited that we made it this far and uh, many more great things in the future. Absolutely. So to commemorate this 30th episode, we have some very interesting uh, topics for you guys. Things that we might have touched on a little bit before, but definitely a little bit of a wrinkle to it. So the first one being uh, Disney, Walt Disney, the Disney company, excuse me, recently celebrated its 100th anniversary on Monday of this week. Uh, that being 100 years since Roy Disney and Walt Disney himself created the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio, which eventually turned into Walt Disney Studios. So there was a ton of events that happened. Tony, I saw you got a picture with Minnie Mouse herself. Yeah, it was amazing. Great photo. I was kind of bummed because Mickey was just coming out. Oh, really? And he waved at everybody. We were at the New Amsterdam Theater. They had like this whole event for Aladdin. Uh, where Aladdin is, um, and so uh, Mickey came out, and the cast member turns around, he waves to everybody, and then he walks over to the back, and then Minnie comes in, and I'm like, you know, 
listen, no offense to Minnie, but like if you're it's celebrated Mickey, Disney, yeah. like you're here for you're here for the the guy that cuts your check. So yeah. I, I was kind of bummed. I even overdressed. I had like this Mickey Mouse jean jacket, which was epic. I had Mickey Mouse on. So when I talked to Minnie, I was like, "Listen, I dressed for your husband. I'm sorry, but do I look a little bit more handsome and, than your and, husband's?" And she, she probably just looked at you and shook her head. And oh, like, she oh. Did, she she did a whole like heart thing, and then <laughs> she took her nose, kissed my cheek, and I hear through the mask <laughs> like that. So. I love it. Hey, at least that's a good experience. <laughs> and the funny part is there's a picture I grabbed of her kissing me. And uh, Melissa, my wife, is on a work trip. So she's not here in New York. I texted her to her. I said, hey, I'm having an affair on you while you're on your work business trip. <laughs> and I sent the picture. What'd she say? She you know, just laughed it off. Ha ha. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, anyway, so to, to celebrate the 100 years, uh, Walt Disney Studios uh, came out with a 100 years of Disney, Once Upon a Studio Little Short, which brought the, uh, you know, old cartoon characters and the new ones, even the new Ariana DeBose voice character from Wish uh, into the short film. And it was really uh, tugging at the heartstrings. I know you said you haven't watched it yet. You've seen, seen it. seen little bits and pieces of it. Little bits and pieces. I saw it. It was great. I, I My eyes welled up a little bit. Uh, so we're going to be talking about how Robin Williams, as we know, who played the genie, the voice of the genie in Aladdin, his voice was uh, posthumously, posthumously, that's right. Yeah, I, I say it a little bit. Posthumously. Posthumously, there you posthumously go. Posthumously used yeah. uh, in, in the show, even though he passed away, uh, you know, several years ago. We will, um, Poet didn't even know it. And then we'll also be <laughs> speaking about the Flo Rida song, In the Air, which, uh, you know, everyone who was in middle school at the time, like myself, Banger. Absolutely. That and Low. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. <laughs> the uh, In the Air song, you've definitely heard of it before, but there was a lawsuit involved because uh, the song originally was sampled from a song called Jam the Box, uh, which the resemblance is uncanny. It literally sounds yeah. identical. But we'll talk about some copyright-related laws that, and the Supreme Court is actually hearing this case. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about some copyright-related laws and how long the statute of limitations are for things like that. And then to commemorate our 30th episode, Tony and I will share what our favorite episode was. They're all so great, but which one definitely stood out the most to us. Yeah. So that is about it. Let's take it away. But first, our disclaimer. Yes, as always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, and form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice. So the first thing that we're going to talk about today is Robin Williams. The man is an absolute icon. He's been in movies like Jumanji, Patch Adams, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, my God. The list goes on. Hook is my favorite. Hook, Aladdin, um, Man of the Year. We can the go Goodwill, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Oh, my God. The guy. He honestly, I think, is probably the one – comedian that really also built up a very good drama library yeah. um, filmography. He really just had such a proper talent for comedy, for drama, for just everything. Also, one other movie that nobody gives him credit for, One Hour Photo. Have you ever seen One Hour no, Photo? never even heard of it. Okay. You have to go watch it. It is like literally Norman Bates adapted in like creeper form. It's a fantastic movie. It's so he's like, like he's kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal in uh, that. Yes. Why am I forgetting what's I called? Nightcrawler. Yeah, Nightcrawler. Pretty much almost like that. He's basically like this uh, photo developer at a retail store, oh. and he stalks his family uh, through developing their photos, and he learns about their life and everything. It is 
Interesting. Unbelievable. It I is, have not heard of that. It is such a good movie, and honestly, like I think that probably is one of the top three most underrated uh, movies of Robin Williams's career. Wow. So he really just from even just on that movie alone, Robin Williams has developed an incredible filmography. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I'll definitely check that out. But anyway, what, what we want to talk about here is you know Robin Williams obviously passed away, and his his cultural impact is not to be forgotten. And definitely his voicing of Genie in Aladdin is, you know, an iconic moment in Disney history and also cinematic history. What isn't known, or maybe it is known for those hardcore Disney fanatics, is that there are a lot of outtakes that occurred while filming the voice acting uh, for the Aladdin movie. A lot of it did not make the final cut, but there are behind the scenes of Robin ad-libbing as the Genie which was incredible. It's basically Robin Williams natural. Basically naturally. Rob, Robin Williams naturally. So <laughs> Give him a hot mic and he'll talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll play a brief snippet of the Once Upon a Studio clip where Olaf, who's voiced by Josh Gad, is drawing, and then Genie, voiced by Robin Williams, comes out of the caricature that Olaf is drawing. We'll play that for you right now. Hey, Frosty, shake a leg, will ya? The leg won't make a difference. It's all in the wrist. I haven't seen a fall like that since Rome. Oh, oh much better. So as you can hear, he makes a joke, I haven't seen a fall like that since Rome. <laughs> so that was actually taken from an, from an uh, outtake yep. or an ad lib that Robin filmed while filming Aladdin. Now, this gets into the whole world of dead celebrities and post-mortem rights of publicity and posthumously using someone's voice. And, Tony, this is your bread and butter. Totally up my alley. In fact, I just taught it yesterday in Entertainment Law. So So very timely. Very fresh. Very fresh in my mind. Um, One thing we should add is that this is – Evan alluded to it, but not only is this just like a small sample of material that Disney decided to choose – they had 16 hours yeah. of footage from what reports show of unused uh, audio of Robin Williams performing in his role as Genie. So, I mean, they had a treasure trove of audio to sample or, you know, consider to use for Once Upon a Studio. But that said, as Evan alluded to, this is getting to the whole heart of postmodern personality rights. How can you use one's name, image, likeness, specifically a dead person's, for commercial use in a manner like this? So... Uh, you know, the whole thing with postmodern personality rights is that there is no federal standard. That's the general rule with all personality rights. It's only defined at the state level. And more specifically with postmodern personality rights, the term for each postmodern personality right varies depending on the state. So, for example, Evan and I are here in New York. In New York, if you're domiciled here, meaning that you're a resident of the state of New York and you die here, your postmodern personality rights last for 40 years after your death. In the state of Florida, it's also 40 years after the death of a person. Tony, I want to unpack that for a second. So let's say I am a domiciliary of New York, and I'm driving, and I get into a fatal car accident in Texas. Do the Texas laws of postmortem? Let's say I'm a huge actor of the end scene pod. <laughs> oh co-host. yeah, big star here. <laughs> big star. Let's say that I'm in Texas where I die. Does Texas law govern how long I'll have protection? So that's a fantastic question, and that's all going to depend on, one, if Texas even has postmortem personality right law, and two, if they do, does it extend to non-domiciliaries? Typically, the norm is that states will only grant protection for postmortem personality rights if you actually live in that state. Right. I think there are a few exceptions to the rule. I want to say I believe um, – don't, don't quote me. Don't, don't come at me. 
I'm almost certain I think Hawaii is like an example of a state where you can be non-domiciled and still have your postmortem personality right protected there. But that said, the majority of the states that have adopted uh, personality right laws only extend that postmortem personality right to um, those who were domiciled in that state. So, so if you would... died in Texas, it would be New York that would govern. Okay, right. Okay, good. I mean, I can imagine someone being extremely nefarious, and let's say they want to kill this high profile, assassinate a high profile celebrity in a state. They would need to be really educated. <laughs> oh my god! On <laughs> but let's let's say they, you know, let's say there's a 20 year old who came up with this nefarious idea to assassinate a celebrity in a state that has a. 20-year-long postmortem oh right of publicity <laughs> rather than New York, which has like a 40-year something. And they did that because they wanted to make a... They had an idea for a movie that they marinated on for the next 20 years. That person has to be given the nickname. <laughs> the academic Sick. killer or some, something. I don't know what, but... <laughs> but, but I mean, anyway, I, this is just my mind wandering. Uh, but no, so interesting to know. Right. So it depends on the domicile. So or anyway, continue. So in, that, in the same vein... Because Robin Williams was domiciled in the state of California, the California Celebrities Act will govern in this matter. Yep. And they recognize a 70-year term after the death of a person. So Robin Williams died in 2013. That means that come 2083, Robin Williams' personality rights will, in effect, enter the public domain. Obviously, the way a lot of states skirt around that issue is if, let's say, they take that person's name and they register in trademarks in specific classes of goods and services. One great example of that is Michael Jackson. The Michael Jackson estate is registered the Michael Jackson name in a variety of different classes of goods related to music, entertainment, choreography, dance, whatever it is. So in this case, surely because you're using Robin Williams's likeness, his voice to be a part of something, you know, you know, cinematic of this nature, even though albeit it's a short film, it's understood that it's proper protocol for Disney to go to the Robin Williams Trust and get permission from them to use his uh, voice in this specific manner. It's just the right thing to do. Absolutely. I mean, like, at the end of the day, you want to honor the person that that has meant so much to so many people. And, you know, technically, let's say they made this in 2083. Do they need to go to Robin's estate? No, hypothetically speaking, but it's the right thing to do. What you're touching on is actually something interesting because it's almost like it's a symbolic approach for right. doing something like that. And let me let me say, I think you're absolutely right because that era of like Disney movies, I would say little between Little Mermaid, Lion King, and Aladdin. The best. Those it's, were it's like not that, even a question. That was like the best era and of Beauty Disney and the Beast. movies. Beauty and the Beast. How could I forget? Those literally stars were made out of that movie. Oh, yeah. And also the movies themselves contained stars that really made the movie possible. Like James Earl Jones in, um, Lion you know, in, King, in Lion Matthew, King. Matthew Broderick. Um, you know, I, obviously with, you know, the Jodie Benson, who is an iconic voice actress in her own right. She was brought back for this, by the way. Right. Yeah. So I as mean, was Paige O'Hara as Belle. It, it's incredible. The, the line of talent that Disney was able to generate from that era of movies. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, it was certainly some symbolic but one other thing i was also talking to evan before we were recording is likely the only other reason why they had to go to the estate meaning disney had to go to the robin williams estate is because likely there might have been a clause in his actor agreement that would require disney anyway to get that consent so typically in actor agreements um, between the studio and an actor, there might be permitted uses that a studio will be allowed to use an actor's uh, personality rights, being their name, image, and likeness. 
it, it typically is done within the context of that movie. So for marketing for the movie, for um, you know any sort of ad campaign, trailers, little teases, and the actual movie itself. If you're going to use someone's likeness that falls outside the scope of that original use, that's where the actor agreement will likely contain a provision that consents are required from that specific talent to use that actor's likeness in something that falls outside the scope of the actual, you know, black letter language of that contract. Right. And this is very common in the movie licensing industry. Um, uh, you know, I worked on a project when I was at my former employer, Greenlight, which is a rights and clearances agency. We worked with um, the ad agency that was working with AT&T Latin America at the time to do this ad campaign promoting AT&T's new TV streaming service. And they wanted to showcase iconic moments in Spanish cinema history where the actor or the actress said something about how great something was. And we clipped basically 20 movie clips um, as part of the storyboard to help sell that AT&T uh, TV streaming service was now available in Latin American countries. Now, the movie, the clip where the actor says a line in the context of the movie is fine, but because we're using it outside of the context of the movie and we're using it in the context of promoting a product, that's where there's that requirement to get that actor's likeness. So when we contacted the studios like a Warner Brothers, a Universal, whoever was the international distributor for a specific Spanish movie, they told us we have to get also actor consents. And that's where we went to the actor's agents, whether that's by way of CAA, World, William Morris Endeavor, whoever, and we get their consents, they give the okay, we may have to pay a fee for it uh, under the sag after guild of you know, CBA, but either way, we got that consent and that's how we were able to use it in that context. I wouldn't be surprised if that exact same narrative took place here um, for Once Upon a Studio. Yeah, and, and like, you know, and other examples that we were discussing, obviously everyone has seen, or most people have seen the movie 300 directed by Zack Snyder with uh, Gerard Butler playing King Leonidas. And we all know that this is Sparta where he kicks uh, the person into the, the hole. Like, let's say, for example, the Greek... Uh, vacation summit wants to use it, right? It, you know, as part of an advertisement to get people to come. That's something you probably, you know, Gerard Butler did not sign off to Absolutely. do. Absolutely, because he didn't say this is Sparta to promote Greek tourism. He said it as part of a line in a script, in, in a script for three hundred. So exactly right. Like there would be that requirement on the board of tourism or whoever this Greek entity is to go to Gerard Butler to get his consent to use his likeness, in addition to licensing the movie clip, of course. And I mentioned Greece because of your father. Okay. <laughs> and ironically enough, he loves 300. He's like one of the few people that actually loves 300. He your loves saying a, that line, too. Your he, dad's a professional. You're welcome, he's you're welcome a, Dad. He's a cook and a Zack Snyder apologist. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I love that. Love that big T. So that'll wrap up on that. If you have not checked out Once Upon a Studio, it was a very heartwarming uh, short film nine to ten minutes and it was great to see how these iconic characters from our youth and ones from today like Anna and Elsa and all of them were brought together uh, to celebrate Disney's yep. history totally so let's move uh, to the next topic there is some lawsuit in the air Ooh, uh, I oh, like that thank you thank you <laughs> there's a lawsuit in the air uh, everyone knows Flo Rida with the hit songs low in the air, my house, elevator—you name it. Uh, He—he's great from my home, my home state, Florida. That is. Um, so, so imagine if he was like from Missouri. He just wanted to call himself Florida. Can you blame him? Um, so there's a song called "In the Air" that was on the. Uh, one of his inaugural ab albums. I'm almost came, certain it was the inaugural album, right? Because it came out in 2008, 
And it actually, the beginning song, or the beginning portion of the song, sampled a uh, a portion of a song called Jam the Box that was a 1984 track released by Pretty Tony. First, we'll play In the Air by Flo Rida, the beginning 10 to 15 seconds, and then we'll play Jam the Box for you. Okay, great. So time and time again on this podcast, we've spoken about copyright infringements and whatnot, unlicensed, and we talked about mechanical licenses, you know, check out other episodes about what you need to use or what you need to get in order to make, to use a sample in a song. Uh, So this kind of sounds like run-of-the-mill copyright infringement. We talked about Lana Del Rey, but this one's a little bit different because Sherman Neely, who was an executive producer and owned the record label that produced Jam the Box, filed the lawsuit, uh, but he was in jail for 10 years when this song was released in the air back in 2008. I think he got out in 2018. So this kind of is reminiscent of a Raging Bull lawsuit, Raging Bull being the film with Robert De Niro, uh, directed and written by Martin Scorsese, actually not written by, excuse me, directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, And the Supreme Court will be hearing this in the air case. Tony, why don't you take us through why they are and how this is kind of related to Raging Bull? So I have to say that this is, uh, well, I'll give my synopsis of why I think the Supreme Court is um, ultimately going to agree to hear this case. But let's start off with what Evan talked about, which is correct, that Sherman Neely was incarcerated at the time that In the Air came out that contains this sample. It's worth noting from the facts that Warner Music, which is the label that produced In the Air, properly acquired a mechanical license agreement from Essential Music Group, which was the um, the uh, record label that had produced uh, Jam, Jam the Box. Box. And so, you know, the the thing there is because they acquired the mechanical sample, uh, mechanical license agreement, Warner thought that they were in the clear, that they did exactly right, everything right, and, you know, there's no real dispute here. Sherman Neely, however, is arguing that whoever it was that granted the mechanical license was not in a proper position to even grant that license in the first place. So he seems to be alluding to a chain of command issue from the licensing part of it. But like I said, he was in prison. He wouldn't have had any knowledge of it. It's when he got out of prison in 2018 that he discovers this this use of Pretty Tony's song in Flo Rida's song, and that's where he said, Hold on a second. I, I should have been the one granting this license. I don't know who who did this. So the, the cinematic mind in me is thinking. Imagine him like playing basketball on the courts <laughs> in jail, and then, and then the inmates want to get pumped. And they start playing in the air. Oh my god! And he's like, "What the hell? This <laughs> yeah, right. is my song." <laughs> Actually, you know, funny... you know what? Wait, isn't the first line in Full Rider song? Oh my damn! No. This is oh hot damn! damn this, this is, is my jam. jam. He really could have said, said that. He literally could have said that line. That's too funny. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to like. After this, like, write the screenplay for this man's life, honestly, <laughs> on this exact moment. Um, either way, it, it's really fascinating how this happened. But so he follows this lawsuit against Warner Chapel Music, um, arguing that this was copyright infringement. At the Southern District of Florida, they uh, the court sided with Warner Chapel Music, arguing that essentially Sherman Neely missed the clock, the statute of limitations in pursuing this copyright infringement lawsuit. 
Um, under copyright law, the Copyright Act of 1976, you can only pursue a copyright infringement um, three years upon date of discovery. And so the, the Southern District of Florida ruled you missed that three-year clock. No ifs, ands, or buts. That, that's it. End of story. Well, how do we know that he found out about this? Like, what, how do we know when he found out about this? So I didn't get a chance to see it specifically in the complaint, um, but I would imagine that part of – I guess the timeline is going to play a very pivotal role here yeah. because – you could argue, could he have even possibly heard it in prison if, let's say, someone was playing the radio or something? Um, could he have heard it in some other means? I mean, if I'm thinking hypothetically, there could have been uh, umpteen other variables. I think maybe the court in the Southern District, which is merely assessing that, you know, 2000, uh, 2007, I think is when that's, the song came out. 2008. Or 2008. Um, you know, 2008. To 2018, that's a 10-year mark. That's ample time. Even if he came out of prison, he would have three years upon uh, date of discovery to do that. That would be 2021. You know, maybe just maybe then that's where there could have been uh, the clock ticking at that point. Worth noting that the in the air made its way into number nine on the top 100 Billboard chart. So it's not like something that you, that you had to parse through to find. It's not like a, like article sound system. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, it's, it's like an actual you know circulated widely circulated song. Right. Um, so that was the Southern District of Florida ruling. But then the 11th Circuit, when it was appealed by Sherman Neely, they argued, hey, he, you abided by the proper statute of limitations protocols. You, you did your part. You, you discovered the infringement. Even if it was past the three-year mark, you did your part in sufficiently trying to fight this, uh, you know, this infringement claim. So we're going to go ahead and reverse the decision of the Southern District of Florida. We do believe that you're within the proper uh, time limit to not only pursue a copper infringement lawsuit, but even get damages as a result of it. Of course, Warner Chapel Music up in arms because they got a license. And right. I think that they have every right to argue uh, some type of appeal. So they drafted a writ of certiorari, which we've talked about on the podcast before. That's a persuasive argument. That's a petition that you file to the Supreme Court, basically at, telling them all the information of the case and why they should hear that case. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear it come this 2023-24 term. I have a feeling that the only reason why they've agreed to hear this case is to overturn what the 11th Circuit said, because the Supreme Court ruled on this exact same matter, as Evan correctly indicated, in the Raging Bull case, Petrella versus MGM, in 2014, it's really not that old, where they said that the rule on latches, which is a basically this, I don't want to get into like the weeds of it, it's very complicated, but basically it, it alludes to the fact that you can try to get damages even past the statute of limitations period. What the, it's L A C H E S, yeah, by the way, not like not, latch, like a like a latch on a, to hold a, on to. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the Supreme Court said the rule latches does not apply here in copyright law. The Copyright Act specifically prescribes that you have a three-year statute of limitations. You have that clock to work off of. No ifs, ands, or buts. I only think the reason why the Supreme Court heard this is because they want to reaffirm the Raging Bull case and just let it be. And they've done this plenty of times. They just did it with the Andy Warhol case where they reaffirmed what they ruled previously in 1994 on transformative fair use. So I think that they could fall into that same logic here. It's very interesting, though, and more legal bits for you guys. The Supreme Court rulings are like the highest precedent you can get. That is the law of the land, uh, the highest court in the land, and they lay out what will be, if whatever they rule is what governs all 50 states. So it makes me curious, why didn't the Florida court or why didn't the Warner attorneys argue this case, this Raging Bull case? Yeah, and the situation's a little different. 
the fact that he was in jail. It's not a film, rather it's a song. Why couldn't they just argue that as they're as they're saying, "Hey, the Supreme Court's already ruled on this. This is what it is." I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Okay. And, and honestly, if they did, and the Eleventh Circuit, you know, disagreed, then that speaks to how flawed the Eleventh Circuit's logic is. <laughs> I've heard actually from other practitioners that the Eleventh Circuit is turned upside down on its head. So it's the. I That's mean, in Florida, right? Yeah. I, well, well, I don't know exactly where, it, but it's definitely in that region where Florida would be governed. But it does cover a majority of the southeast um, area. Either way, like, you know, you do have very commonly circuit splits. And for whatever reason, the 11th Circuit has been like that, like that redheaded child in the uh, litigation space or the judicial space. No, it's in Atlanta. Oh, it's in Atlanta. Well, oh. I mean, yeah, it's the South. <laughs> no offense, anyone. I'm, I'm from Florida, but yeah, no, it, it's it's Alabama, Florida and Georgia. OK. And that you crazy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's this line in in Hamilton where they were talking about the ten duel, or they were talking about going into a gunfight, and then Hamilton asks his son, like, "Where is the fun? Where is the fight taking place?" He says, "New Jersey," and then Hamilton says, "Everything is legal in New Jersey." <laughs> I think about about Florida. Absolutely. <laughs> so very interesting. Was there was another thought that you had? I I just gonna say that again. I think that the Supreme Court. Um, it, I think it's very interesting that they chose something like this. Um, this is not your traditional copyright infringement lawsuit in the sense that they're trying to assess the prongs of copyright infringement but it's more of a procedural question which i think is itself very interesting in a fact pattern of the sort but we don't know exactly when the oral arguments are going to happen of course i'll be listening because i'd be very curious to know how the supreme court is going to assess the logic more so from the sherman neely team i really really want to hear what their justification is for um having this case um you know assessed as a valid copyright infringement lawsuit very interesting and then lastly, to wrap up our 30th episode, we want to share our favorite podcast episode that we've recorded. Again, all of them have been fun. All of them have been meaningful. We've had some great guests. We've spoken on some great topics. But which one definitely stood out the most? Do you want to go first? Or you want me I'll let to... you go first. Okay. For me, I would say the one that I enjoyed the most was episode three. That was the one where we spoke about Lady Gaga and yes. the South Park case. My, the reason why that was my favorite is because that was the first time we were in your office. And... I can't remember. I'm almost positive. That was the first time I've been to ABC since we first got coffee together. I think so. Yeah. That might have been. Yeah. And if you guys, if you listen to episode one, the story of Tony and I, um, <laughs> where our romance started to bud, was when I came to his office and he treated me to a cup of coffee. And it was kind of full circle to see. And that was in 2019. Uh, Had to have been. Yeah, because you were, yeah, that was right before the pandemic. Yeah. So the Pandy Wandy in 2019 <laughs> is when I came here. And to be, you know, on the same level as Tony, you know, both JDs, both graduated from school and both have these, there's I want to say you're more of a subject matter, matter expert than me, but I've <laughs> learned a lot from you and being able to share uh, our camaraderie and our ex um, knowledge with all the listeners that was cool and to do it in your office where you know there's this is a storied building this yeah. is the home of abc news so that was pretty cool to me i you, appreciate that yeah 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 what about you um my i'm I don't have something as heartwarming warming as that but uh um it, it's a toss-up there have been like evan said a lot of great episodes I'm going to have to share two. Um, I really loved our Barbie episode. Yeah. Um, that was a lot of fun. I, I think that was the one episode where we really could go all in talking about a, a wide variety of different cases about the same subject, about yeah. Barbie. And we haven't done that before. And we never did that. Um, and it, and 
you know, I mean, we have so much fun talking about all these different topics, but it was very raw, organic analysis that we had. And I think like, you know, we've built a very, we've always had great rapport, but I think as we have done more episodes together, we really have improved on our flow, on the way we talk about things. Um, are we read each other's chemistry very well? And I think that that really came to full effect on that episode. So I really enjoyed that. And if I could go back a second to episode three, I felt that as well. We, like that when we were first getting our legs there. Yeah. That one I felt was just so natural exactly, as well. Exactly. And it's only gotten better. Like, we don't even have a script. We don't do scripts anymore. We just come up with the <laughs> For the last topics. like 20 episodes. <laughs> we come up with the topics. We'll do, we'll do research before. We'll talk it out. And then the only thing that we have a Google Doc for is just to orient us on what the topics are, exactly. and maybe two to three lines total. Yeah, that's pretty much all it is. So yeah. It's great. It's easy. Um, but I do want to give another, uh, as like an honorable mention, um, our episode with Ian, Ian Rosenberg. Ian. Um, we love Ian. Ian is a great friend of ours, um, and he obviously is the author of The Fight for Free Speech and um, his uh, graphic novel, which basically is the, the uh, version, the comic book version of The Fight for Free Speech. Um, it, it, the free speech handbook. I totally blanked on it for a second. Uh, but uh, Ian is awesome. He was our first guest yep. ever on Episode NC, 10. Episode 10. Um, and he came to... He came to PNT, PNT Network. Network. Yeah. Uh, Stones throw away from him. It was awesome. He just was... He, he had such... He was such a, an encyclopedia of knowledge on all things First Amendment. Like, you know, I, I, I grazed through the First Amendment in entertainment law, but this guy is just like... He, like, literally, he is a walking Rolodex on all things yeah. First Amendment. Um, but we love Ian. He's awesome. And uh, we really appreciate having him on our podcast. And if you have not checked out episode 10, um, it is uh, definitely an evergreen type of, uh, you know, episode that you can definitely listen back to, even though that was months ago. So um, shout out to Ian Rosenberg. And, of course, check out his book. There, there's your plug, Ian. <laughs> there you go, Ian. Um, I agree, Tony. Ian's a great a great friend. He was a good guest. Um and set the standard for our other ones as well. All right, so that'll bring us to the end of episode 30. Sad, tear, tear, but we must uh, adjourn. <laughs> legal legal term of art. Oh, look at you. <laughs> uh, we must adjourn here. Uh, it, it was very fun. Thank you, all of us, for listening. I know we've kind of been sporadic with our recording, obviously. Uh, you know, in light of everything that was going on in the Middle East, we wanted to be uh, observant of that. So we didn't record last week and we've been traveling, but yep. we'll try to be more on a regular cadence. We hope you, you know, enjoy listening to us as much as we enjoy making these. Uh, thank you to all you guys. Thank you to PNT Knitwear, to Surge and the team over there. Haven't been there in a hot minute, but hopefully uh, we can get back there soon. Uh, eventually, eventually, yes. And we're also on Shake, S H A Y K, at N Scene Pod. When you sign in, you type in N Scene, yeah. right, as a special yeah. code. Uh, we're also on social media everywhere at N Scene Pod. And that's it. Oh my God, I think I did a you good did, job. You did the good outro. That was a very good outro. Take we us got, home. All right, so here we go, guys. And until next time. End scene.